evening, everyone. My name, as uh, Candace mentioned, is Elliot. And um, some of you may know me. I know some of you. Um, I, I want to thank you for letting me uh, come here and, and preach to you. I should thank Chris, but he's not here, uh, for inviting me. Um, I, as Candace mentioned, I, I used to be uh, an intern at Bellingham Covenant Church, and uh, that's actually how I know Chris. Chris and I both went to Regent College, but we didn't meet each other until uh, we met at, uh, at Bellingham Covenant. So he uh, moved on to, uh, to become the pastor here, and uh, now I work at Logos Bible Software in their their uh, publications department. <clears throat> I've done that for the last couple of years. So I'll, I will be preaching from uh, Psalm 46. Um, and I'm going to start with a little bit of a downer. We live in anxious times. Uh, sometimes we're anxious because of natural threats, like hurricanes, droughts, uh, tsunamis, climate change. Uh, I grew up in, in North Carolina, and the natural threats that we were concerned about aren't quite the same there as they are here. Uh, there it was mostly hurricanes. Um, but even, even in North Carolina, it's not too bad when it comes to hurricanes. It's not as bad as it is in uh, Florida and, and places farther south and in the Caribbean. Uh, we would get a, a hurricane that would come up in our direction you know, once every four or five years or so, and, and usually by the time it, it got up to us, uh, it, uh, it was a little weaker. I, when I, the entire time that I was growing up, I only rem remember a couple of hurricanes that were uh, really frightening. Uh, but even more than natural threats, uh, we are anxious because of uh, human threats, um, like uh, war, terrorism, uh, the, the mass shootings that... that uh, uh, two of which have, have taken place this summer, um, and on a more uh, less life-threatening level, we're uh, even afraid in uh, this being an election year of um, you know, certain people being elected or certain people not being elected. Um, that is uh, one of the things that adds to uh, the, the general anxiety. And on a personal level, we're, we're anxious. Uh, we can be anxious about the future. Uh, we may wonder what will happen if, if we lose our job or uh, what will happen if, uh, if we get sick or, or someone in our family gets sick and we have to foot a, a huge uh, medical bill. And on, on an even lower level, uh, we are anxious sometimes about making mistakes. Uh, we wonder what people will think of us when they uh, realize that we don't know what we're doing. Uh, a lot of us have that fear, including me right now. Um, and according to uh, uh, Taylor Clark, who uh, wrote a, a recent book on anxiety, uh, he wrote a, an article that I read recently. He says, over the last several decades, both through good economic times and bad, the United States has transformed into the planet's undisputed worry champion. Around the turn of the millennium, that is uh, 2000, Anxiety flew past depression as the most prominent mental health issue in America, and it's never looked back. 
with more than 18% of adults suffering from an anxiety disorder in every, any given year, the United States is now the most anxious nation in the world, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity, while our usage of sedative drugs keeps skyrocketing. Just between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium from $900 million to $2.1 billion. As psychologist Robert Leahy points out, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. And according to the 2002 World Mental Health Survey, people in developing world countries, such as Nigeria, are up to five times less likely to show clinically significant anxiety levels than Americans, despite having more basic life necessities to worry about. So, I told you I was going to start with a downer, and that's, that's a big downer. Uh, we, we live in a, an incredibly uh, wealthy country and an inc incredibly prosperous country, and yet, um, ironically, or for some strange reason, uh, it's also the most anxious country uh, in the world. So worry is, is in the air. Uh, you can see it uh, all around. And as Christians, what do we do about this feeling of anxiety that we see around us? Well, as uh, Christians have done throughout the centuries, we uh, pray. We take our, our anxieties to God. And uh, we learn how to pray by doing what Christians throughout the centuries have done, which is uh, we pray the Psalms. We turn to the book of Psalms in order to teach us how to think about God and how to think about the issues uh, that we face in our lives. And unlike a lot of Psalms that ask God to do something about the situations that we face, uh, this Psalm doesn't do that. Uh, instead, it's a Psalm that praises God because uh, he already has done something. And uh, as Brian mentioned, as uh, he was introducing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, uh, for centuries, this, is, this has been a psalm that uh, Christians had, have turned to for, for comfort and for confidence. The message of this psalm is that in spite of the things that make us anxious, God is with us, God is powerful, and God protects us from threats. And um, I'll, I'll break the... the the psalm down into three aspects. First, God's power and presence guard against natural threats. Second, God's power and presence guard against human threats. And third, God's power and presence demand a response. Uh, so first I'll, I'll read the, the first three verses of the psalm. And I'll be reading from a translation called the Common English Bible, which is a translation that just, just came out last year. And I think they do a pretty good job with this psalm. So it begins, God is our refuge and strength, a help always near in times of great trouble. That's why we won't be afraid when the world falls apart, when the mountains crumble into the center of the sea, when its waters roar and rage, when the mountains shake because of its surging waves. So there are many natural threats, threats from the natural world that the, that the psalmist mentioned. Um, one is that the world falls apart. It completely comes undone. And uh, expressing confidence in God 
even when the world falls apart is um, that's a lot of confidence. I'm not sure if, if I would have the same kind of confidence if, uh, if I were faced with that kind of uh, a threat. Um, I mentioned that I grew up on the East Coast and, and, and that uh, hurricanes were the, the main natural threat that we had to, to deal with. Um, I've lived uh, in Washington for the last several years. I've still never experienced an earthquake. I don't know what that feels like. Um, so I'm sure some of you could, could tell me all about that. Um, but everybody has experienced at least some kind of, of natural threat. So imagine when you, when you read the first verses of the psalm, the worst disaster that, that could happen. And yet, the psalmist has confidence in the face of uh, what amounts to um, the unmaking of the created order and return to chaos. The psalmist also mentions that the mountains crumble into the sea, um, another uh, natural disaster uh, that we could think of is volcano eruptions. I, I went to visit Mount St. Helens for the first time earlier this year, and um, I don't remember uh, the eruption of Mount St. Helens because I was one year old when it happened, um, but yes, <laughs> I heard that. You are old. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I was only one year old when, uh, when uh, Mount St. Helens erupted. But I do remember you know, seeing pictures, uh, in, first of all, in my, my, uh, my elementary and, and high school science textbooks of, uh, of the eruption. Uh, but it wasn't until I, I went there and, and saw the mountain for myself that I really understood uh, the magnitude of it. Because when you, you, know, when you see pictures or when you see video, um, it, was, it obviously looks... Um, huge and amazing, but when you go there and you actually see how big the mountain is, and it's difficult to uh, get, uh, get, a, get your mind around, or at least it was difficult for me to get my mind around, the fact that that thing, that huge thing, exploded. And yet, again, the, the psalmist has confidence in face of, in face of uh, these kinds of, of natural threat. And then the psalmist mentions that the waters roar in rage. And uh, the ancient Israelites were not a seafaring people. They didn't go out on boats very much. Um, for them, the, the sea represented danger. It represented chaos. There aren't really any natural harbors uh, in, in Israel. So uh, the, the ancient Israelites didn't go out on the waters very much. But in spite of the waters roaring and raging, um, the psalmist has confidence. And the psalmist also uh, mentions that he will not fear because uh, in contrast to the raging waters, he says there is, is a peaceful river in God's city, in verse 4. Uh, and the, the river symbolizes calm and refreshment. And for the, the psalmist, the city of God that he's talking about is uh, Jerusalem, which actually uh, in ancient times did not have its own natural uh, water source. Uh, it had to wait until uh, one of the, the ancient kings, Hezekiah, who's mentioned in the Bible, uh, he created a tunnel to bring water into the city uh, in order that they would have a water source in, in case they were ever under siege. Um, and for us, uh, we don't necessarily think of uh, the city of God uh, um, 
representing Jerusalem. For us, it's, it's, it represents just the place where, where God dwells. And uh, the place where God dwells for uh, Christians, for those who uh, have, have come after, after Jesus, is uh, in his people, uh, the church. And in the future, there will again be a city, as is mentioned in the, the last chapter of, of Revelation, uh, Revelation 22, where there will be a, a river uh, in that city. And unlike the mountains, the psalmist says, God's city will not crumble. Uh, and it's actually uh, interesting that the, the same word is used of the, the mountains crumbling and the city not crumbling uh, in verse 2 and verse 5. Uh, the psalmist is trying to draw a, an explicit uh, connection between uh, even though the mountains, the, the huge, unmovable, seemingly unmovable things, uh, even though they, they crash into the sea, uh, God's city will not crumble. So basically the, the psalmist is saying about natural threats that um, sometimes chaotic forces uh, assert themselves in the natural world. And uh, in, our, our, our modern, in our modern way of thinking, we tend to ask, well, why, why does God allow these, these things to happen? But the Bible isn't, isn't really concerned with that, and the psalmist certainly isn't concerned with that. Um, the psalmist assumes that chaos is going to spring up, but expresses confidence in God's ability to subdue natural threats. Um, and the psalm doesn't say that natural threats won't happen ever, uh, but it is saying that, that God is a refuge in the midst of these natural threats. Sometimes uh, we don't have to go through disasters like this, and sometimes we do, but the point of the, the psalm is that uh, God is a refuge either way. So in, in addition to the natural threats that the psalmist talks about, he also talks about human threats. And I'll read uh, verses 4 to 7. It says, There is a river whose streams gladden God's city, the holiest dwelling of the Most High. God is in that city. It will never crumble. God will help it when morning dawns. Nations roar. Kingdoms crumble. God utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of heavenly forces is with us. The God of Jacob is our place of safety. So like the seas, the nations roar. Again, this is the, the same word that the, that the psalmist uses to kind of draw a, uh, a parallel between what is happening on a human level and on a natural level. Uh, people are angry, angry with one another. Uh, they go to war, and specifically in the psalmist situation, they're going to war against uh, God's people where they live. And just like the mountains, the kingdoms crumble. Again, it's the same word used of the, the mountains crumbling, the kingdoms crumble, but God's city does not crumble. There is uh, an instability in, in human affairs. Uh, over time, uh, all of the, uh, the great nations and the great uh, empires have fallen. And uh, if, if uh, Jesus should... Uh, delay long enough uh, in his return, all of the, the nations that are on the earth today uh, will fall. There, there is inherent instability in, uh, in, in human affairs. But God's response to the instability and the chaos of, of human uh, threats is uh, he makes his city secure. He helps it at the, the break of day, the psalm says. Um, and because 
the psalmist says that, that God helps the city at, at the break of day. A lot of uh, commentators have said that uh, perhaps the setting for the psalm is uh, the invasion of Judah by the Assyrian king Sennacherib in 701 BC. So uh, Assyria was uh, in the, the seventh century BC, the, the world's greatest superpower. Uh, they had a, a huge empire that stretched across the, the entire Middle East, and Judah was this tiny little spot um, surrounded completely by Assyrian-controlled territory. And uh, Sennacherib, the, the king of Assyria, decided that he wanted to, to conquer uh, Jerusalem in part uh, because of, uh, of some things that the, the kings of Judah had done. But uh, the Bible records this actually in three different places. Uh, one of them is in Second Kings chapter 19, verse 35 and 36. So uh, the king of Judah had, had cried out to God uh, in the face of this great threat, and, and God answered him. It says, That night the Lord's messenger, or his angel, went out and struck down 185,000 soldiers in the Assyrian camp. When people got up the next morning at the break of day, there were dead bodies everywhere. So Assyria's king Sennacherib departed, returning to Nineveh, where he stayed. Later, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Sharezer killed him with a sword. They then escaped to the land of Ararat. His son Esarhaddon succeeded him as king. So because the psalmist mentions God helping his people at the break of day, uh, a lot of people have have thought that perhaps uh, that historical event was the setting for this psalm. And uh, it's definitely a possibility. We don't know that. Uh, but the important part is that uh, God has uh, performed acts in the life of his people that have allowed them to have this kind of confidence in the face of, over in the face of overwhelming uh, human uh, opposition. Another thing that the psalmist mentioned in, in, uh, when he's talking about human opposition is uh, that God raises his voice and melts the earth. His voice alone has power, um, more power even than the, than the strongest military force. Um, I love that, that we read uh, the passage about Jesus calming the storm in Mark uh, before, uh, before I, uh, I got up to, to speak because... The, the important thing about Jesus stilling the storm in, in the Gospel of Mark is that um, he did something that only God could do. Uh, only God has the kind of power where his voice by itself is able to uh, control, uh, control the elements. And so uh, you remember that uh, Jesus' disciples, after he spoke and he calmed the storm, they were afraid. And uh, they were asking, who is this man? And the reason why they were uh, afraid and asking who he was is because he had done something that only uh, God, in their experience, could do. So sometimes uh, chaotic forces, just like in the natural world, they assert themselves in human history. Uh, but the psalmist is confident that God is able to subdue them. And again, just like with the, the natural threats, uh, he doesn't always do it. 
Uh, I was at uh, Bellingham Covenant Church this morning listening to the sermon, and uh, 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 the pastor there who was preaching, uh, Dan Bolgi, mentioned uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, the, the well-known story, a favorite of uh, uh, Sunday school kids everywhere, uh, where the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, announces that everyone in Babylon should bow down to this golden statue and worship it. Whenever the band played, everybody had to bow down and worship, worship the statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to do it. And so they were hauled in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll give you one more chance. Bow down before the statue. And they said, their, uh, their response was um, very important. They said that uh, our God is able to rescue us if you throw us in the fiery furnace. But even if he does not, we're still not going to, to worship you. Uh, and the important, the important thing is that uh, God has the ability to subdue, um, subdue human threats and human opposition. Um, for his own reasons, he doesn't always do that, but that should not lessen our, our confidence that, uh, that he has the power to do it. And ultimately, the Bible uh, points ahead, looks ahead to a complete cessation of conflict. And God is even now working toward that goal of ceasing conflict. And uh, we, as, as his church, are called to work as, alongside him. Uh, as, as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemake, peacemakers. And uh, eventually, uh, the Bible is, is very clear that uh, looking ahead, that uh, swords will be beaten into plowshares and uh, people will not learn war anymore. So God's power and presence guard against natural threats and they guard against human threats. And finally, God's power and presence demand a response. And here are the last uh, three verses of the psalm. Come, see the Lord's deeds, what devastation he has imposed on the earth, bringing wars to an end in every corner of the world, breaking the bow and shattering the spear, burning chariots with fire. That's enough. Now know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted throughout the world. The Lord of heavenly forces is with us. The God of Jacob is our place of safety. So when this psalm concludes, uh, we find that God's power and his presence uh, require a, a response from us. And there are four commands in this psalm that tell us what our response should be. Uh, they come in pairs of two. The first one is, come and see, in verse 8. And the psalmist is telling his audience uh, that they need to open up their eyes to what God is up to. And specifically for us, uh, what it means to come and see what the Lord has done is uh, we should reflect what God has done um, in the, reflect on what God has done in the stories that we find in the Bible, uh, in history, and in our own church and in our own lives and in our families. Um, a lot of the stories that we, that we find in the Bible, especially its, uh, its narrative portions, um, are a, a wonderful way to, to find out what God is like and how he uh, works with people. A lot of the, uh, the heroes of the Bible, the, the well-known uh, people, are actually 
they didn't make the right decision all the time. Um, but we read their stories to find out uh, how God deals with his people. And also, um, it's a, a good practice to reflect on what God does throughout the history of his people in the church. Uh, a, good, a good practice is reading uh, biographies of, of, uh, of Christian people and, and finding out how God was faithful uh, and how um, God delivered them. And uh, in our own church and in our own family, uh, we should uh, reflect deliberately on, on what, ha- what God has done. I know a lot of people um, record uh, their prayers and, the, and God's answers to their prayers in journals so that they don't, don't forget. Uh, and then once we reflect on, on what God has done, uh, we should share, share the stories with one another about what God has done and what God is doing. And the second set of commands beyond come and see is be still and know in verse 10. And uh, this is a very well-known phrase. Uh, and usually it's, it's uh, shared to mean you know, be still, be quiet, um, get to know God in a very uh, contemplative, meditative sort of way. And that's not wrong. That's just not what this particular verse is saying. Uh, the word for be still is more like stop what you're doing, cease and desist. That's enough. Um, and this, this translation actually does translate it as that's enough. Um, and the, the knowing is uh, not just knowing intellectually, but acknowledging with your whole will, with your whole being, uh, acknowledging that God is God. And so... The psalmist wants us to to be still, to stop what we're doing, to know that God is God. And I'll I'll close with with three uh, questions for for reflection. First, do you know deep down inside your heart, in your being, that God is a refuge? In this psalm, uh, it isn't the walls of the city that make the city secure. God does. Do you trust in him? Do you trust in your own abilities? Um, a lot of us uh, tend to, to trust in our, um, our intellect or our money or uh, our family or friends. And uh, the, the article that I, that I quoted at the beginning about anxiety, uh, the end of that article is very instructive um, because it's a classic example of... Uh, people's reliance on human ability rather than God. And here's, here's how the, the article ends. The good news here is that we have the tools to halt this trend because in recent years, psychologists and neuroscientists have given us a far better idea of how to deal well with anxiety and stress than ever before. So despite all of our worry and strain, America, fear not. With a bit of intelligently applied effort, any one of us can bring our anxieties back into a healthier balance. Just takes a little bit more elbow grease and maybe some drugs. <laughs> so it is true that uh, human creativity uh, has a role in solving a lot of problems. Uh, God has made us creative. Uh, he has uh, made us in his own image. But. Our ingenuity and, and our uh, technical abilities can only do so much. Um, 
And in our, in our world, we don't like to hear that. We, we like to uh, trust in our own effort to solve problems. I know I do. I like to, to uh, trust in my own abilities and my own, my own intellect. Um, and if problems aren't being solved, uh, we tend to think that we just need to work harder. And some problems can be solved this way, but uh, the important thing that we should remember from, from this psalm is that uh, evil is not a technical problem. It can't be solved by trying harder or, or smarter even. So my, my, my uh, first question for reflection is, do you know that God has made a safe place for his people? And do you trust him when the mountains crumble? And the second question I wanted to ask is, do you know that God is strong, that God is powerful? I mentioned earlier, uh, and we read earlier, that Jesus calmed a, a storm at sea merely by telling it to be still. Do you trust him to calm the storms that you are facing? And again, we don't like to admit that we are, are weak. Uh, we don't like to ask for, for help. Uh, but no one is, is self-sufficient, uh, not individuals and, and not even nations. Uh, this psalm shows us that, that God is stronger uh, than any of us uh, ever could be. And so, uh, do we trust in, in our own power, uh, or do we uh, only lean on God once we have exhausted all of our other options? And then third, do you know that God is near? Sometimes we have a, a false confidence in God's presence. Uh, for example, in, uh, in the Bible, in, in Jeremiah's time, the temple was treated as a kind of lucky charm. Not the cereal, but uh, something that uh, it was kind of like a, a rabbit's foot. Uh, the, the ancient Israelites thought that because the temple was in Jerusalem, that God would never allow it to be destroyed. Uh, and even in, in uh, Jeremiah 7, Verse 2 and following. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. He says, Stand near the, the gate of the Lord's temple and proclaim there this message. Listen to the Lord's word, all you of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, says. Improve your conduct and your actions, and I will dwell with you in this place. Don't trust in lies. This is the Lord's temple, the Lord's temple, the Lord's temple. No, if you truly reform your ways and your actions, if you treat each other justly, if you stop taking advantage of the immigrant, orphan, or widow, if you don't shed the blood of the innocent in this place or go after other gods to your own ruin, only then will I dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave long ago to your ancestors for all time. And so what God is, was saying to the Israelites in Jeremiah's time was, um, you're not really trusting in me, you're just um, treating uh, treating the temple as if it was a good luck charm, uh, that uh, believing that, that God wouldn't destroy it just because uh, God's temple was there, and even repenting or re even repeating, uh, this is the temple of the Lord, as if just repeating it uh, would make it uh, true. Um, and uh, we, we still uh, sometimes have, have uh, false confidence in God's presence. Um, and when I was in high school, uh, I was at, at a basketball tournament with a friend. 
And um, at this basketball tournament, all of the, the guys on our basketball team, our high school basketball team, were getting sick. And so I was talking with my friend uh, who was on the team, and uh, he said, I'm not going to get sick. And I said, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, God's going, not going to let me get sick. And I said, well, how, how do you know that? And you know, he, he, just, he just said, I, God's not going to, to let me get sick. Um, and it, it kind of uh, uh, didn't sit well with me uh, because I, I knew the, the guys who had already gotten sick and, and um, you know, why, why wouldn't God uh, protect them from getting sick? So this, I prayed for him to get sick. <laughs> I, this is not my, my proudest moment in prayer, but that's what I did. And I did it because I thought that, that he was overconfident in, in, uh, in God's presence and that he was treating God kind of like a lucky charm, like, you know, God's not going to let anything happen to me. Um, he did get sick, by the way. <laughs> so. uh, but I have, since then, this was when I was like 16 years old. Since then, I've not played, prayed for anybody else to get sick. Uh, so sometimes we're overconfident in God's presence, um, and other times we're underconfident. Uh, we're not sure that he cares about our little problems. We feel like he, uh, he's busy running the universe. Um, so uh, we have these, these two opposite problems. But uh, we don't need to have false confidence or underconfidence uh, when it comes to, to God's presence and, and knowing uh, that he is with us. Uh, in the Bible, God's powerful, protecting presence is tied together with covenant faithfulness, as you could uh, hear in that passage from Jeremiah that I read. God is saying, um, if you are faithful to my covenant with you, uh, I will dwell with you. If the Israelites broke their covenant with God, he would allow them uh, to be harmed by threats. But the good no news for those of us who follow Jesus is he has been faithful to the covenant uh, on our behalf. And knowing that Jesus has been faithful on our behalf prevents us from both overconfidence in, in God's presence and God's favor uh, and underconfidence. We can't be overconfident because we know that it isn't the good things that we've done that keep God close to us and uh, that keep God loving us. And we can't be underconfident because we know that the bad things that we've done won't keep God away from us. So God is still near, and he's still powerful, uh, just like he was in the psalmist's day. And Jesus said that he leads his sheep, and they listen to his voice in John chapter 10. And Jesus also said, uh, just before he uh, um, left his disciples, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. So is God's nearness giving you confidence like the psalmist had? And if not, why not? We might live in the most anxious country in the world, but this is the good news for us. God is our refuge, and God is our strength, the same way today as he was in the psalmist's day. And God is still near. Like the psalmist, we don't have to be afraid. And as the psalmist tells us, be still and know. Stop what you're doing and acknowledge that with all of your being. Let's pray. 
Lord God, uh, I thank you that you are our refuge and you are our strength, uh, that you are powerful and that you are safe for us to uh, flee to you. Lord, we thank you for your uh, great faithfulness and your nearness um, to your people throughout the, the ages. Um, and Lord, I pray that you will give us the kind of confidence that the psalmist had. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, you will uh, enable us to uh, trust in you, to have faith in you, to know with all of our heart and, and all of our uh, being uh, that you are the Lord and that there are no substitutes. Amen.